You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, so let me talk about this little issue here. It's funny because um, this week I had a biopsy on my head, and so I thought I'd be telling you today, don't be distracted by the Band-Aid. And meanwhile, uh, so thank God the biopsy came back and I'm all good. Uh, this little mess was yesterday, my thumb had the unfortunate encounter it with a chainsaw. And uh, so yeah, that wasn't a whole lot of fun. Um, thankfully, it didn't like cut it off, but it did some trouble to it. And so I was in the hospital for a long time with my wife yesterday, and they were kind of putting things back together. And so uh, I am not pledging allegiance throughout the message, all right? It just feels better like this, all right? So that's what's going on there. And it's funny, yesterday, so I'm, I'm, I'm on a ladder, and I'm chopping down this tree, and this whole thing kind of takes place. And so they end up, and I'm not going to get into details because some of you look like you're going to pass out right now, but um, I get it. They, they call an ambulance for me. My wife and kids are amazing, and so I get taken to Stony Brook, and um, then my wife was going to get driven there. My son drove her out, or my father-in-law, somebody, I don't even know. Am I in church right now? I don't know. I've been taking a lot of vacation the last 24 hours. All right. Where am I? Okay. And so um, she gets to the hospital, and she sends me a text and just says, I'm here, and I went to give her a, a thumbs-up emoji, and I was like... <laughs> Maybe I should just do a heart. Maybe I'll just heart this one, okay? But that leads perfectly into the first question that we want to ask here in our series today. So we're going to ask four questions today. And through the book of Acts, we've been asking questions each message. And the first question that I want to ask, which I obviously didn't plan this. Somebody said after the first service, you really commit to your illustrations, Doug. But the question is, does God feel my pain? Does God feel my pain. Think about it. Uh, no matter who you think of when I say who, do you, who, who is a super Christian in your mind, right? Like maybe it was Martin Luther, maybe it was Billy Graham, maybe even Tim Keller who recently passed. And who's that super Christian, okay? I guarantee you they wrestled with this question. Does God feel my pain? Uh, for some of us, it's what's keeping us with, from a close relationship with him. And so we're going to talk about that today. Question number two, will God lead my life? Will he lead me? So I would never say who asks for what when we have prayer times up here, but the last several weeks we've been having people come up at the end of the service for prayer, and I can't tell you how many people have said, I just need direction, I need guidance, I need the Lord to lead me. And I think whether we're a new Christian or an old Christian, a new, per a new person, yeah, if you're a new person here today, if you're a young person or an old person, if you are somebody who maybe isn't even a follower of God, I think we all have that question in our minds sometimes. Is God going to lead my life? Is he gonna direct me as I try to make really important decisions? Question number three, my loved one is too far gone for God to ever reach, right? Maybe here on Father's Day, that's exactly what you're thinking. Man, there's somebody in my life, a son, a dad, a daughter, right? Somebody in my life who just feels far. Maybe it's someone at work, a friend, uh, somebody that you spend time with. And, you know, I want you to think of that person that kind of mocks your faith. I want you to think of that person that declines Christmas and Easter and Father's Day invitations to church. Maybe they have a few bodies in a, in a freezer in the basement. You know, we all have, we all have that weird uncle, okay? Um, I don't know who you're thinking of, but I will say that you're going to find great encouragement today as we talk about this question. And lastly, and I think we can all relate to this one. You ready? Why does it seem like the people in the Bible lived one big miracle after another? If you're like, I just can't relate to the Bible and I can't relate to these stories we talk about here on Sundays, Doug, because you talk about miracles and healings and I've experienced the opposite. 
right? Or I'm just in this long period of waiting, and it feels like when you read the scriptures, it's like every other you know, page is this amazing, huge story. And it, it almost felt like Moses, David, Saul, Jesus, Peter, like Paul, all these different people, they all just, it was just one big miracle. It was one big yes over all their requests. And maybe you just feel like you can't relate to that. Maybe you're thinking, uh, I, that just sounds like a fun, exciting life where the Lord just keeps showing up, right? And I'm just going to be working out a cubicle this week. I'm going to be demoing somebody's kitchen and putting it back together this week. I'm going to be caring for my kids this week. Uh, maybe like me, you'll be, you know, in an office trying to write a message with nine fingers. I don't know, you know. But uh, wherever you find yourself, you're just like, but I, I, it's just so ordinary. Like in the Bible, there's extraordinary, there's supernatural, and I just feel like, you know, everything I do is just so ordinary. Where's the big? Where's the, where's the miracle? Where's the breakthrough? Um, why does there seem to be no mundane or, or stuckness in the people in the scriptures? And we're going to talk about that here today. And I believe the answers we'll find are so important and so incredibly encouraging. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would guess you wrestle with many of the same questions I just brought up that we as Christians wrestle with. And I hope today you'll find encouragement and also see the amazing love of God for you. So we've been in the book of Acts. We've been saying it's called Acts because it shows the acts or actions of the Holy Spirit. Everybody yell it out. Who wrote it? All right, we're getting stronger every week. Good job. Luke wrote this. And one of the main people that Luke talks about is a man named Saul. Everybody say Saul. Now, Joe, Pastor Joe did a great job a few weeks ago introducing us to Saul. He talked about how Saul was approving of Stephen's death this first martyr. And Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Greek name. And often the reason that the scriptures call him Paul more than Saul is because Paul was, of course, sent to reach the Gentiles and not the Jews, right? A lot of the apostles went to the Jews. Paul went to the Gentiles. And so often he's referred to as Paul. So everybody say Saul. Everybody say Paul. Everybody say same guy. All right, good. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, say the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So there's a really cool reference in here to the way. What is the way? The way was the earliest name for Christians. People who belonged to the way were followers of Jesus, but they weren't called Christians. In a few weeks, we'll see the first time in Acts that they're called Christians. But it probably refers to Jesus being the life, the way to life and salvation. It might even be referencing how he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so Christians are called the way kind of early on before their famous Christian name came out, which I think is pretty cool. Now, uh, many of you guys like bands that you know their name by a certain uh, current name, but there was an early on name that you probably aren't aware of. I want to share a few. The Beach Boys were called the Pendletones. Coldplay was called Starfish, Big Fat Noise. And are you ready for this one? Pectorals with a Z at the end. Um, U2 was Feedback and the Hype. Sonny and Cher were Caesar and Cleo. Nirvana was Pen Cap Chew. And Nickelback was called the Village Idiots, which now knowing their music, they should have stuck with, okay? But before followers of Jesus are called Christians, they those that belong to the way. And Saul was on a mission to stop them. We're going to stop the way. We're going to stop these people who are following Jesus, saying that he's alive. And he's threatening to murder them. And so he was going to the religious leaders to get 
the documents that he would need to legally be able to take them and put them, whether men or women, it said, put them in jail just for following Jesus. So now he has the law behind him as he's doing this. So Saul is on a very clear mission here. And it says in verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Can you imagine? Okay, everybody think about this for a minute. And I don't want you to think about it too long because I don't want you to have regret in your heart. But, but just think for a minute about the time in your life you were the farthest from Jesus doing the worst things imaginable. And right in the middle of it, a light shines on you from heaven and God calls you out on it. That's what happened here. That's what happened to Saul. It never happened to me, thank God, but this is what happened to Saul. And it says in, in uh, verse 5, and this is so important, it's going to lead to our first question. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Okay. This is so important. Jesus was talking to Saul, right? And I love this. And maybe you've heard this before. Maybe this will be brand new. But, but no matter what, we need to be reminded of this at the very least today. That Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Why would he say me? Right? He was persecuting Stephen and the church. He was going after the followers of Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Question number one, does God feel my pain? Yes, that's why he says, why are you persecuting me? Because he feels what we feel. Tom Constable says this, I love this. Jesus' question made Saul begin to appreciate the intimate union that Christians enjoy with Jesus. He was in his disciples, not just with them or ruling over them by his spirit. When they suffered, he suffered. Listen, when you felt the pain of abandonment, Jesus felt it. When you felt the pain of a lost child, Jesus felt it. Not in some like mysterious, like, oh, I can probably relate to you way, but felt your pain. When you came out the other side of the divorce, heartbroken and penniless, maybe, Jesus felt it. He's with us. See, I think sometimes pain is so hard, not just because it's pain, but because we think we're alone in our pain. I'll tell you, yesterday, the worst time at the hospital for me by far was before Kelly got there. She, you know, had the, you know, the ambulance is flying, everybody's getting out of the way, and Kelly's trying to get there, and um, she then gets there, and the ER won't let her in, and, you know, all this stuff, and, and then when she got there, everything changed, you know? It was just different. I wasn't alone anymore, and I'm just telling you today, you're not alone in your pain, and I'm not saying necessarily that Jesus' finger hurt yesterday at 2.15 when I did this, Okay. <laughs> But he feels what we feel. You can fill in your blank. As specific as your pain has been, Jesus feels it along with you. Does he feel your pain? Yes. Acts 9, 6. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Everybody say, you will be told what you must do. Okay, question two. Will God lead my life? Saul must be thinking, okay, if I'm going to listen here and I'm going to follow this Jesus, everything's going to change. Like, we don't think about that a lot when we talk about this story. But think about Saul's life. To this point, he's been on one trajectory, and now if he follows Jesus, everything's going to change. And so he's at a huge crossroads right now, like going, Lord, what are you going to show me here? Because I don't know how to figure this out. It's not like God said... Uh, so I want you to get up and go into the city and then go figure it out. And he says, you will be told what you must do. 
And I hope you know today that as you're trying to figure out your job, your future, your relationship with God, your relationship with a person, if we allow him to, he will tell us what we should do. And some of us maybe today are like ignoring that voice. We know exactly what God's saying and we keep pushing it off. Some of us are like, oh no, I don't know yet. And I'm frustrated because I'm trying, but I can't hear him right now. And I would just say to you and me, let's not ignore what he's leading us to do and let's continue to pursue him so we can hear what he is telling us to do. It should be the cry of our heart. Lord, speak to me. Lord, lead me. Lord, direct me. Open my ears to hear what you're wanting to say. The scriptures say that God opens a door that no one else can shut and he shuts a door no one else can open. I need that kind of leading in my life, Lord. Open the doors that need to be open and let nobody shut them and shut the doors that shouldn't be open and let nobody open them, including me, right? The Lord will lead you. Let's keep going. We see that even more here. Verse seven, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. So Saul's blindness starts out as wow, I don't know what the rest of my life's going to look like, and now it's very physical, right? Like, he was blind about his future. Now he's blind about everything, even on a physical level here. But he decides to trust Jesus, and he goes into the city and waits to hear what Jesus is going to say. And here's the big question. Everybody say, why? Why trust Jesus? So why would you trust Jesus? You were just trying to shut Jesus down and his followers. You were trying to eliminate and eradicate them. Why are you going to trust him now? I'll tell you exactly why. Because he had a radical encounter with a living Jesus. And many of us have as well, haven't we? And if you haven't yet, it's coming. Keep pursuing him. It says in Jeremiah that when we seek the Lord with all of our heart, we find him. With all of our heart. Is anyone holding back today? Because you need that encounter with Jesus. Because you need to see he comes through, he shows up, he, he, he heals or he gives strength uh, to get past what we thought we wanted and, and what we asked for and didn't get, right? He's so big and he's so good. And we need those personal encounters with Jesus for ourselves. And because of that, he's able to trust him. And it says this in verse 9, For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Don't you wish the Lord spoke to you like that? I mean, that'd be awesome. Like, like the Lord's just like, hey, incredibly good-looking bald man. You know, I'd be this Lord. You know, I'd be, I'd be ready. So, but that's not how it works with me. But that's how the Lord spoke to Ananias. And it says, verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I mean, the Lord's pretty specific here. I want you to go to this house on this street and ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So, wow, two pieces of the puzzle here. We're going to see a little bit more of this next week. But there are two different parts of this puzzle, and both need to respond to the Lord for this to work out. And I love that Ananias is listening here, and I love that Saul is listening here. And it's, Ananias, of course, objects a little bit, right, because he knew who Saul was. He knew he was out to kill Christians. And then it says in uh, verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, right? So Ananias is like, I don't want to go. I know who Saul is. The Lord says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer from my name. And so God just sort of blew past Ananias' reasons why he should go. 
Why he shouldn't go, rather. So here's Ananias wondering how to navigate this, and the Lord tells him what he must do, just like he told Saul what he must do. Listen, there are times in my life I have felt like God's led me very specifically. And there are times when it's been very general. But you look back and you see that the Lord was leading. You know, I've never gotten the name of a street. Or, or have I? Right? Hoffman Lane. That's kind of cool to think about. We're in our old building. We sell it. And it was very general leading. Lord, where are we going? Literally, I was at a pastor's meeting, 30, 40 pastors in a room. And the guy leading the meeting says, I want you all to stand up and say um, what your name is, where you're, you know, what church you're from, and where your church is. And I said, oh, my name is Doug Jansen from Living Word Church. I have no idea where we're going. Okay? And sat back down. That was my little introduction. We were really unsure. The Lord led us to Hoffman Lane. The Lord led us then to five acres on that very same street. We went from not knowing what the Lord had, but a general leading where we were going to a very specific leading on where we were going. He wants to lead us and direct us. So if you're here today going, God, what is my life about? Where do I go? Do I study? Who do I do this with? Do I move? Do I come back? Do I stay? Do I just, Lord, lead me. He's going to lead you. He's going to direct you. He will open a door no one can shut and shut a door that no one can open. Ananias got there. He listened to God. He prayed for Saul. Saul was healed and baptized and stayed there for several days. And this leads us to question three. My loved one is too far gone for God to ever reach, right? Like he's just too far gone, right? That's how this is going to play out. Acts 9, 20. At once he, Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man? Uh, don't you love that? Wouldn't it, can, can, can we just ready ourselves for the day when somebody says that about our loved one? Wait, isn't that the same person that used to? Right? Because that's what we're getting here. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? The people are astonished because they can't believe this is the same Saul because he's so different. That gives me great hope for people in my life that are far from Jesus, that need Jesus. Goes on. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So here's the guy that was arresting Christians for following this Messiah, now schooling the Jews in Damascus about the Messiah. That's life change. I'm telling you, we got to be on our knees for those loved ones in our lives that don't know him. We got to be crying out, Lord, open their eyes to see who you are, see how great you are, see how wonderful you are, see how different you are than maybe what they think you are, or Lord, different than anything else they've experienced. And here is my experience with this, is when there's someone that you're trying to reach, a neighbor, a coworker, someone in your life you're trying to reach that's resistant to what God wants to do in their life, it needs to be a whole lot of prayer and a very few words just led by God at the right time. I think so often it's, we go at them hard with like, you know, words and words and words and words, but man, I think it's prayer, like magnified on up in that equation, and then just a few words that just may be the right moments as the, Lord, as the Lord leads. But there's no one in our lives that is too far gone. Jesus can do it. Amen? We should find encouragement here. So, as we continue to 
move on to question four, we're going to wrestle with something that I think we can all relate to. Why does it seem like the people in the Bible lived one big miracle after another? Why have I gotten no's instead of yeses? Why have I walked through pain? Why have I been through silent times? Why does it seem like that doesn't happen to the people in the Bible? Well, let's check this out. Let's keep learning from Acts chapter nine. The Jewish leaders came up with a plan now to kill Saul. Saul was killing everybody else. Now the Jewish leaders are like, he's following Jesus, let's get him, Acts 9, 25. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So listen, not one big miracle, right? Saul's now running for his life, and it's not even cool. They lower him in a hole, through a hole, in a little basket. Like if I'm Saul, I'm going, Lord, I just had this great miracle. You just healed me from my blindness. And now you're lowering me in a little basket. Is there a little kitty cat that can come with me for this little ride here? Like, can we not do like a Lord of the Rings catapult over the wall and land on like one of those big eagles or something, right? Like, like why is this so difficult now? Why am I not experiencing this great, huge miracle here? And I just love that there's some natural in here, you know? There's a bad day. There's a bad season here during this whole time, and that encourages my heart because I have bad days and bad seasons. Acts 9, 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So they go to meet Peter and James and the apostles, and they're all freaking out. Like, we don't want to talk to Saul. We know what he's been doing. But Barnabas comes and says, no, he's legit. God's done something real in his life. And what we just saw happen, we didn't even realize we just saw happen. Okay, are you ready for this? This is just more proof that Saul's life was just as mundane at times as yours and mine is. It was just as much a process as yours and mine is. Because in verse 25, we see him lowered through this hole in the wall in the basket with the kitty cat, right? There's no cat, by the way. When you look at the commentaries, it won't be there, okay? But lowered in this basket, right? And then you're like, okay, so there was a low time. Like, that stinks for Paul. But then in verse 26, he's meeting the apostles, like Peter and James who saw Jesus. Like, this is crazy. And this is where we go. See, this is why I can't relate because verse 25, oh, he had some trouble. Verse 26, though, very next verse, he's back living large with the apostles. And what we don't realize we even just saw happen is that it was a three-year time span between verse 25 and verse 26. Three years. Paul was waiting for that opportunity. Why does it seem like the people in the Bible live one big miracle and, man, I wait and I'm stalled out and I don't get what I want when I want it three years later? See, we forget that Luke is summarizing the story. Sometimes when people summarize stories, they leave some stuff out. My son Landon, when he was about seven, we lived in a house in Center Reach, and there was this nice long staircase and a nice banister he could slide down. He'd be sliding down it, jumping off it, flipping off it. And over time, the banister became wobbly because he was doing this so much. And I eventually said to him, Landon, you, you can't do that anymore. You're going to break the banister, you know? Okay, Dad, okay, I won't do it again, you know? So I go out to the garage, and if you come in the garage, the banister was right there. So I'm out working in the garage, and I open the door, and I come like this, and Landon is just straddling the banister, looking at me like this, right? And before I could even say to him, Landon, what are you doing? Get off the banister. He just looks at me and goes, I fell. I'm like, bro, you fell up onto the banister? 
Like, what world do you live in, right? Is gravity, like, reverse for you? Like, how did this happen? And it's funny how Landon summarized a few things, didn't he? I think our kids are really good at summarizing some things. And Luke's summarizing some things. And he summarized out, hello, a three-year wait that Saul had to meet the disciples. See, I think as you look at David's life, Moses' life, even Jesus' life, there's all this waiting. There's disappointment. There's no's where we want yeses. Even in these guys who saw these incredible things happen. In a few weeks, we'll be in Acts chapter 13, and we see Paul on his first missionary journey. Wow, amazing, right? How exciting. We're in Acts 9 today, just four chapters from now. He's on his first missionary journey. That had to have happened real quick, right? Well, I want everybody to say here in the room 34 AD. And I want you to say 48 AD. So Saul got saved in 34 AD. He didn't go on his first missionary journey until 48 AD. That's 14 years of waiting. 14 years of waiting for what God was going to do in his life. What did Paul have given up when he was in that little basket being lowered over the wall? What if he'd given up during the three years between verse 25 and verse 26? What if he'd given up in those 14 years of waiting for that missionary journey. And, and things got even worse for Paul. In fact, there's a, a time that commentators call the silent years in Paul's life, six years. We don't know what he was up to. He didn't write anything that we're aware of. Six years of silence. In fact, eventually, Paul would be arrested, wouldn't he? And placed in prison. And what's interesting to me is, as a, as a visionary like Paul, man, Paul didn't mess, man. If, if there was something to do, he was on it. If there was somewhere to be, he was going, right? And here he is stalled out in prison, waiting. And I, I can just imagine, because I, 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 I'm a kind of a go-doer like Paul. I mean, he's at a whole different level, but, but I get that go-do-itness in Paul. I would have been losing my mind waiting. In fact, yesterday at the hospital, I'm sitting there waiting to be seen, and Kelly... Uh, said that when she went through the waiting room in the ER, it was like packed out. And so I had been brought in by ambulance. So I'm, I'm not like out in the outside waiting room. I'm in the inside waiting room, but I'm still waiting. And I, did, I wasn't seen for about two hours. And they, the, everyone was amazing. I mean, they killed it, but, but two hours. And I, I have no pain meds yet. I'm just sitting in this thing and I'm looking at my wife and I'm going literally, I'm like, I'm gonna lose my mind right now because I'm just in pain. And honestly, there was a lot kicking up in me from where I, I was in the same hospital I was in for 63 days or whatever it was a few years ago. So like there's a lot emotionally kicking up and I'm just waiting and I'm waiting and I'm feeling like I'm going crazy. And Saul is waiting in this prison. He's got to just be going, Lord, why? Like we were doing stuff out there. People were coming to know Jesus. Healings were happening. What's going on here? But in the, Saul, in the cell, Saul writes some letters to some friends, doesn't he? Some friends called the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians and to a guy named Philemon. And without even realizing it, in the prison, he was writing the very words of Scripture. Didn't even know it. It's not like he planned it. He didn't call the Roman guard, like, bring me a pen and some feathers and ink, you know. I'm going to write the Bible right now. He had no idea. He was just writing some letters. And here we are 2,000 years later still studying those letters that were used in that quiet, waiting, painful time in Saul's life. So when you're at your cubicle this week, or you're caring for your little kids, and they like destroyed the playroom in 0.1 seconds, or you're demoing a kitchen and putting it back together, or managing people, or taking some finals, 
just knowing that the Lord is at work in the highs and the lows. He's at work, yes, on the mountaintops, which we all love, but he's at work in the valleys. He's at work when we're waiting. He's at work when we feel stuck and stalled out, and he's with us. The last time we looked at this passage, we had sold our property, and we were meeting here at the school, but we didn't have the property yet, and we didn't know about the property yet. And I was just looking back at that old message, and just what a crazy thing. I, I literally wrote in that message that we were using Pastor Bavone and Kathy's basement as our office, and a couple of our guys here in the room, our pastors can tell you, we were just, we crammed down there on Wednesdays and Fridays, and work apart on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and of course be here Sundays, and and we went from that little basement, which is nice and all, but, you know, as an office, right, for our five or six guys that would show up to a 4,000-square-foot building that we just didn't know what was coming on five acres that we didn't know what was coming for a quarter of the price we should have paid for it that we just didn't know what was coming. I know even now, church, we're stalled out a little bit waiting for that, right? But I want to tell you that our staff is more convinced than ever that while we're in this period of waiting that we've got to really see the Lord do great things while we're still here. And we're going to put our heart into it and our all into it while we're still here. And yes, that will be great, but, but here and now we want to be saying, Lord, while we're here, is there any books of the Bible for us to write, so to speak? No, don't send me a mean email. I'm not going to add anything to Scripture. But, but you know, is there anything like that, Lord? Like, what do you want for us to do, even while we're kind of feeling a little bit stuck? Some tried to kill Paul followers of Jesus sent him off to another city, and Paul continued to experience ups and downs through his whole life, times of waiting, times of pain. He even said at one point that he despaired of life itself. Some of us have been there, haven't we? I want to just summarize, not like Landon did, summarize the last little bit of Acts 9 here for time's sake, but we end Acts 9 with Peter and two awesome miracles. Everybody say, Aeneas. Everybody say Tabitha. Annius was healed from being paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Tabitha was raised from the dead, and the news of what God would do was spread all over the city. But don't forget, Peter has faced many challenges. Peter has been in prison. Peter has been beaten. Peter has gone through it. And so, yeah, there's the days where you're raising Tabitha from the dead, but there's the days where you're sitting in a prison cell waiting. And everywhere Peter went, everywhere Saul went, everywhere you go, the Lord is there. Why are you persecuting me? He feels what you feel, and he gets what you're going through. So, does God feel my pain? Yes. Will God lead my life? Yes. He led Paul and Ananias, and next week we'll see how he'll lead Peter and someone named Cornelius. My loved one is too far for God forever to ever reach. Nope. You keep being on those knees, man. You, keep, you wear out those jeans. You wear out that carpet. You pray. And when the Lord leads, you speak maybe little things here and there. You choose your battles, but you watch the Lord move. Why does it seem like the people in the Bible live one big miracle after another? Don't forget Paul's three years of waiting, escaping in a basket, despairing of life itself, in a cell thinking he's just written some letters. Because God can do some powerful things in our lives during those seasons of waiting and questioning. Next week we'll continue, but this week, if we live like what we've heard today is true, then we will leave here knowing a Savior who feels our pain, who leads our lives, who can reach even the hardest heart, and who is mightily at work even in our highs and our lows. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to put your trust in him today.
He loves you. He died and rose from the dead. That's why Paul was out there saying everything he was saying. That's why the Jewish leaders at the time were trying to shut everything down because they didn't want this Jesus talked about. But he rose from the dead and turned the first century on his head, and he's been working in lives ever since. So if you want to put your trust in him today, I'd love to give you that opportunity. But this week, let's know the Lord that we serve. Let's know that he, he feels what we feel. Let's know he's going to lead us. Let's know he can chase any hard heart down. And let's know that he's at work in all of our highs and lows. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done and what you will continue to do. And God, I just want to pray over everybody in the room and watching online today, Lord, for these specific things that we've talked about today, God. For those of us in the room, Lord, who are just really asking that question, do you even get my pain? Do you feel it? Is it on your radar? Lord, oh, God, show us how much you get it. Thank you that the cross shows us. But Lord, up to date, in real time, Lord, may we see that you're with us. Lord, God, for those of us in the room who are saying, are you going to lead my life, God? I just pray you'll give us sensitivity to what you're saying, that we would read your word and see you speaking. We would be around people who love you and hear what you're saying. We would be convicted and encouraged by messages like this and, and respond like Paul responded, like Ananias responded, God, to your leading. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that, that people who are far from you, Lord, today would come to know you, God. Those in our lives that we love, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our coworkers, maybe here on Father's Day, it's a dad, maybe it's a child. Lord, just move, God. Draw our families to you, our loved ones to you. And Lord, in our highs and lows, show us your working. Remind us that the, the scriptures aren't all filled with just highs and just big miracles, Lord but lows and prison cells where you're working mightily behind the scenes, just like you are in our lives. Thank you, God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to pray with me now. You could just say something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I could know you and be forgiven of all my sin. Jesus, show me that you're with me. Show me that you feel what I feel. Put your spirit in my life to do some amazing things. Thank you for this gift. Amen.